What does healing mean to you? It's not something I produce. It's something that God gives us Mm -hmm. and that we participate in. Revealing Voices, the mental health podcast, raising unanswered questions, sharing unanswered prayers. We are faith-based, peer-led, story-driven, and stigma-breaking. I am Tony Roberts. I am Eric Riddle. And And we are Revealing Voices. Welcome to episode three of Revealing Voices. We have a very special guest in the studio this That's morning. That's right. We introduced him at the end of the Amy Simpson episode, and the the mystery uh, will be solved here in, in just a few moments regarding the middle name of Tony Roberts, of Tony E. Roberts. I'm sticking with Edmund. I'm sticking okay. with Okay, well... I'll throw that in the mix. Anyway, the the cliffhanger will be answered here shortly. Uh, So, Tony, uh, we are recording on St. Patrick's Day. We we just released uh, episode two with Amy Simpson a couple days ago. Very exciting. And and that is exciting. Thank you again, Amy, uh, for for being with us here on Revealing Voices. Uh, So, yeah, uh, I've... uh, I've had enough sleep over the last two nights, but I will say I am a March Madness kind of a guy. Uh huh. You know, Jen, my wife, is from Buffalo, and so we were able to watch Buffalo beat the Arizona Wildcats. Incredible big game. Buffalo plays UK today, uh, University of Kentucky, and uh, go Buffs. Oh, definitely. You know, being <laughs> an IU fan, seeing UK lose is always. Um, Fun. I'm cheering for the university underdogs. It's a big team. <laughs> Good old UU. <laughs> the UU. <laughs> Love the UUs out there. Right. Um, so uh, today is St. Patrick's Day. I am wearing green. Tony, I don't see any green no, on I, you. I don't see any. If my mother was in the room, she would be pinching you ah, right now. well. Yeah. Is the is the riddle name uh, an Irish name? No, but my middle name is Rippy, uh-huh. and we actually found records dating the Rippy uh, family name all the way back to Ireland in wow. in the 1700s. Uh, my my grandfather was not able to pass his name on to a male heir, so yep. I am Eric Rippy Riddle. My son is Isaac Rippy Riddle. Hopefully, we'll be able to continue that. Um, you know, I, I think I have some Scotch-Irish. My uh, mother's maiden name is McPeak. So okay. I would say that's a good possibility. Yes, I, yes definitely. <laughs> definitely. Uh, so, yeah, St. Patrick's Day, you know, known for uh, green and beer. Um, it's also known for St. Patrick. Patrick, who was a saint. It, he you, was a real... St. Patrick. If you're a Roman Catholic, you consider Patrick a saint. Yeah. And uh, 
I was sent in my Facebook friend, Joy Fisher, a um, prayer that is considered the breastplate of St. Patrick. And I thought I'd share that. It's a very beautiful prayer. It goes like this. Tony, real quick. Breastplate. So this is actually like on his <laughs> chest? or They I emblazon this on his... I, I don't know. It just says the breastplate of St. Patrick. Um, you know, okay. what are you going to do? I, it's I pretty long. So is it like on both breasts of St. Patrick? <laughs> <laughs> it's a long poem. St. Patrick has a very large breast. <laughs> let me read the, Go for let me it. Read the prayer. Go for it. Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me, Christ before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in quiet, Christ in danger, Christ in hearts of all that love me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. That's a beautiful prayer. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I've heard that before in a truncated version it's kind of frustrating how even in a prayer it can't even pass down the full prayer so you get like maybe half of that and it's like right. oh there's the prayer of saint patrick but actually no it's a long one it takes you know two sides of saint patrick's breastplate i think it's actually all the way around his back <laughs> And down his leg armor. Maybe part of revealing voices is for people to be able to be heard in a much longer form. What do you think? Well, I, I think that's very wise. We live in a fast-paced world. We, we want to consume much content and not deep content. Right. We, we want to think we know a lot about many things, or a little about many things, rather than a lot about... A few things. It's true. So podcasting, uh, you know, we're interview-based, and uh, to, to prepare for our show, we really dug into a lot of other podcasts, and one of them that we both like is The Hilarious World of Depression, with John Moe as the key interviewer. They have an enormous presence, and they get a lot of top-notch entertainers mm -hmm. uh, to talk about their mental health. Yeah. Jeff Tweedy from Wilco was on one recently, and I really enjoyed that. He was talking about problems with drug addiction and how it took quite a while to actually realize that it wasn't so much an addiction, but some underlying mental health diagnoses uh, that were untreated. And I, I think a lot of people discover that where there's addiction issues that may be covering up, you know, depression, anxiety, bipolar diagnosis. And when you can kind of fight the addiction and see maybe more of a root cause, um, that's when you can turn a corner. And, and he was speaking to that on the podcast. And I discover a lot of new people I wasn't familiar with, but who are active in popular culture, who others know, kind of on the cutting edge, like you said, Jeff Tweedy. I discovered Amy Mann through yes. this program and discovered her recent work that is entitled Mental Illness. 
and yeah. uh, that's her recent uh, album. And I've listened many times, and it's it's incredible. I yeah, mean, it's it's great music. She had a song out, man. It's probably fifteen years ago, maybe more. And the chorus was, "It's not going to stop until you wise up." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's good. So you know, on that show, they lead with the question: Is depression funny? And I mean, that really inspired us and kind of framed out the what does healing mean to you to introduce our shows. Right. Yeah. We've got some good feedback on that. We yes. both have the website question. We have it on our website and we've already gotten some response people sending in statements. Our two guests so far, and then I'll do it today, mm-hmm. have responded to that question. Right. Um, so every time we'll build up our library of healing. Thank you, uh, Leanne Sype. Leanne Sype. She was our first to respond. An editor and friend. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Leanne. She edited my spiritual memoir, Delight and Disorder. Mm-hmm. So, Tony, uh, let's transition into the formal interview. Episode one was really more about Jen and April, and we kind of sat back and thought, you know, we probably need to reveal more about ourselves. Question one, you know, is going to be the lighthearted question. Tony, your middle initial is E. It is E, and I don't have any further letters or name behind that. Although there is a a mystery. The story is that when my dad was born, he was born a twin. And his twin's name was Eston G, and his name became Vestin E. It's it's a family tradition. My my, my, uh, uncle is Larry A. Uh, No name, just the the letter and uh, if you look back you can find that and nobody talks about the reason but I think I've looked into it a little bit in other families Mm -hmm. and I think one of the factors has been when you name uh, when you want to name uh, a child their middle name after somebody who has died already Mm -hmm. you don't want to use their name because it's superstitious you know maybe they're going to die soon right so if you want to still have a a legacy you just use the the letter so that's the story but so you're going to have a long and fruitful life (laughs) tony e roberts all right so my middle name is rippy your middle name is e e yes last question there is there a dot after the e you very good question my dad didn't want there to be Okay. But the nurse just thought that was just peculiar. Yeah. So she put a dot after the E. So it makes it very complicated. Uh, Yeah. Quick story. (laughs) My dad, when he was in the military, ran into this problem. His middle name was E. Yeah. And they were very hard on him about, well, what's it stand for? What's it stand for? 
So they finally had him put E period um, name only or or no name in parentheses E period no name and uh, so that was. That was what he did on some of the paperwork. Yeah. And then they started sending him mail that said, E period, no name. Wow. <laughs> yep. Okay, Tony. Um, so question one. Tony, let's start from the beginning. And I'm interested first in your faith upbringing, your kind of family of origin faith story. Well, we were born identifying as Christian, uh, but my, fa- my, my parents didn't frequently go to church. I went to church with my grandparents, and my grandmother in particular was the first Bible I ever read. Uh, she, had mo- she modeled for us a humble spirit, a hardworking ethic, um, she was meek and yet she could also assert herself. Mm-hmm. And when she, when she did, she, she got the job done, whether yeah. it be caring for children, working, uh, to help the household. Uh, so that we would often go to church with her and my grandfather. She never drove, so he would drive and often sit out in the parking lot. A big pivotal point for me was when my parents divorced when I was in sixth grade, about 12, I guess. And whether it happened or not, it seemed like the church really shunned us. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a church that taught very firmly that divorce was anathema. You just did not divorce. And if you talked about it, it might encourage others to do it. Mm. So we were really looked down upon or pitied. Um, yeah. And I didn't want to deal with that. So I stopped going. I mean, I was old enough that they gave me the choice. But the nice thing that God had given me was the commitment uh, to be disciplined about reading the Bible and praying. Mm-hmm. So even during that um period when I was not connected to a church, I was praying and reading scripture. Um, Good. Then in high school, you could tell that God was working in my heart because as soon as I was old enough to drive, I started seeking out churches. Mm-hmm. Why don't we transition a bit to more of uh, your mental health yep. story and uh, let's just kick it off from wherever you'd like to begin. Well, my symptoms began as early as my childhood. You know, some children have a sense that that you know their life is being filmed. Uh, at least I've been told this, but I was very convinced that this was happening. So much so that when I was shooting baskets, I was looking around for the camera. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, where is this? Uh, yeah. So I think that goes a little bit along the grandiose side. A little bit of March madness <laughs> happening there. I mean, we are in Indiana. Right. You know, I was a Hoosier born and bred. That's right. 
worship the almighty orange hoop. So it, it really started there. But, you know, this was a time when those things were not thought of. And since I was succeeding, I was highly functioning as a student and as an athlete. Right. Uh, there was really no problem. The first time I found the most disturbing um, sign was when I was taking an Algebra 2 test. And I heard a voice that was a very uh, accusatory voice that I was very stupid, that I was failing, that, you know, which may have for some been just natural anxiety. Right. But I heard the voice. It was coming from an external source. Mm -hmm. And it was also so out of whack with reality because I had the highest score in the class. Mm -hmm. But I had to excuse myself and get a drink of water and just work on my breathing and go back in. And yeah. I, I did well. But so that's, you know, that was the next one. Now, I didn't get diagnosed with bipolar until I was 30. So, but again, there were all kinds of symptoms mm -hmm. that preceded that, that um, looking back, it would be a clear sign that this was my diagnosis. Uh, okay. But I didn't have a, a psychotic episode until I was 30. How did you feel when you were first told you had bipolar? Well, honestly, I was a little bit out of sorts. Um, I had just been t put on profoundly disoriented drugs like Haldol mm -hmm. and Ativan and and this is age 30. This is age 30, okay. yeah. And I was in the psych unit, and some of the staff and patients were saying, based on my behavior and my diagnosis, I would never work again. I would probably get a divorce, and I would go in and out of hospitals the rest of my life. This is... Basically, at the moment you were first diagnosed. Yeah, out of, when I came out of seclusion, this was told to me. And yet I had a psychiatrist who believed it, it could be better. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was right around the year that Kay Redfield Jameson wrote uh, her famous work. Um, An Unquiet Mind. An Unquiet Mind. And you know, here's a woman who had... A similar diagnosis and she was a, a leading researcher and uh, uh, in the field of psychiatry. How much do you think that experience of being told that impacted you over say the course of the next year? Over the course of the next year it motivated me to get better. I really had about six months leave of absence. So it's not as if it had an immediate, you know, come on, collect myself and get back to work. Uh, but before the end of the year, I was fu fully functioning. Okay. At that point, had you gone through divinity school already? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was five or six years into my ministry. Okay. And was rising in my career mm -hmm. and had a wonderful church that took care of us during this period, gave me an unlimited leave of absence and the permission to come back to work 
when I was ready. Yeah, and this was a Presbyterian church in yeah northeast Missouri? northeast oh. Pennsylvania in Pennsylvania. Okay, you had a fairly strong amount of support for continuing on in your career. I really did, and you know, I know I'm unusual in this regard. I mean, I talk with a lot of pastors, a lot of leaders in the church who were not supported and are mm-hmm. still not supported. Right. Uh, so I acknowledge that stigma continues to 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 be a factor mm-hmm. for many uh, leaders in the church, pastors, and so forth. But for me, there was nothing but love and acceptance and uh, learning. And if anything, it, it enhanced my ministry right. because people came out of the closet, so to speak, yes. and started talking about their struggles with mental illness, mm-hmm. not just with me, but with their husbands and friends and people in the church and we basically discovered together that we're all in this together. Right. So you really started uh, kind of a mental health ministry from the m- moment you were diagnosed. It was fairly open. Some it people was. in church leadership knew, members of your congregation. Everybody knew. Now, the yeah. one thing that we chose to, to, to limit in terms of what we said um, is that Bipolar is a form of depression. Mm-hmm. And so we chose to tell people that I had depression, that right. I had clinical depression. Uh, now, I still told people in personal visits who had bipolar mm-hmm. that that's what I had. Yes. Um, but this decision was, was made with me and the leadership to you know, label it depression. Mm-hmm. My mental health ministry really began there by individually um, people coming to me for support, yes. encouragement, uh, sharing my own story. Was it the early 90s when you really started digging into mental health advocacy? Yeah, the first my, I was diagnosed in 94, 95. Okay. That was nearly 25 years ago. And yeah. Throughout these last 25 years, what what changes have you seen? What conversations have opened up? What relationships have you developed where you're starting to see more church leaders really focus on mental health ministry within their congregations or within a parachurch setting? Well, we talked about on the episode with Amy Simpson, with her book uh, written in 2013, uh, Troubled Minds, it really opened the door for the conversation um, in the pulpits, in the pews, uh, beyond the church. And there's been, it hasn't been a a huge explosion Mm -hmm. of support, but it's permission is now given to, discuss the topic. I'll say this, there are certain diagnoses that are accepted and others that are still anathema, but it's okay to have a depressive cycle, to have anxiety, Mm -hmm. OCD, people joke about that. Right. So there are certain mental health uh, diagnosis symptoms which are broadly accepted. 
right. in the church. But there's still people who you know accept it for themselves, but don't want their pastor to struggle. Mm-hmm. So, Tony, 1994, in a way, you are a, a pioneer in in this type of ministry. transition to talking about your book, Delight and Disorder. Uh, that book uh, really brought us together. Yep. And I'd like to hear about when you originally had the idea, like you want to do this thing, you're going to commit to it. When, when was that? Uh, it was my birthday in, uh, let's see now, it was 2009. Uh, June 13, 2009, I'd always want to write, and I I felt like I should write. I'd written journal entries on the Psalms for decades. Okay. Uh, so I was driving down 5 and 20 looking out on the Canandaigua Lake, one of the Finger Lakes, and just noticing the beauty for... I'm not really a nature person, but I was just having a revelation. I was mm-hmm. in that kind of state where I'm I'm in tune with with nature and uh, what they call mindfulness today. Yeah, and uh, I just in an instant knew that what I needed to do was to take some of my journal entries and expand on that, edit it, and focus on my life as a pastor with bipolar and connect that with verses of the Psalms. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I took off and started that day to do one or two a day, uh, try to keep my mania down. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, it was, it was a good, a very, uh, a very good project for me. Yeah. So that was about a five-year project between that moment on the Canadagua and the release of the book. (laughs) Most of the time was spent trying to find an editor, or not an editor, but trying to find a publisher and then putting it in a drawer thinking I was worthless (laughs) and then then going a year without writing anything. Right. Uh, So it was a lot of downtime. I actually... Most of the writing was done, initial draft was done in about six months, and then editing took about 18 months. Mm-hmm. So. so Delight and Disorder uh, comes from a psalm. Can you share that, that kind of full scripture well, or verse? Well, the title, the title, yeah, I, I will. The, the title is twofold. The, the title is actually the specific title of a poem, a 19th century poem by Robert Herrick is actually talking about a dress and in its disorder of not being a perfect dress, mm-hmm. there is beauty. Uh, and this poet or the narrator finds beauty in its imperfection. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there is a verse, Psalm 37, four that says talking about it goes, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Mm-hmm. And so that verse has become something of a life verse for me. That's beautiful. It is. 
so Tony, I've always you know thought of you as a writer. You know, my experience of you really you know kicked off at that publication date, and, and you continue to write and you you know share um, poems, short stories. Uh, are you considering another book? I am, and I think I'm pretty much decided that it will remain in the area of mental health and faith. Now, whether it captures both or, you know, one more so than the other, I've yet to determine. I, I do keep up a blog, Delight and Disorder blog, and it's possible that I will take some of entries. I've been doing that now for over a year and it's possible that I'll take entries from there and edit them down uh, to what would be a palatable book size. Yeah. Yeah, that discipline of writing really helps. You never know when the inspiration of one day might wind up in in a publication. Yes. And, and I think you do a really good job of sitting down writing on your blog and journals uh, and that really if nothing else helps I would thank you individually with your own mental health but also professionally um, as well. Tony you've, you've spoken about depression um, on uh, the opposite side of that of course with the bipolar diagnosis there are periods of mania w would you like to share um, what that means to you. I think a lot of people can relate probably more to a depressive episode, uh, whereas a manic episode for some is more of a mystery. Something they can't quite draw from their own experience. So, right. Um, share uh, what a manic episode is like for you. Well, there are many kinds of bipolar, first I should say. Yes. And like... Eric, you you have what I would consider to be bipolar light. You know, yes. <laughs> you, you are you are bipolar too, and you have maybe bouts of depression, followed by maybe a couple manic periods in your life. Even yeah, I'm a how lightweight. Many, I'm in the lightweight division. <laughs> how many? I mean, in your life so far, how many epic manic episodes have you had? There, there's really just one. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not uncommon for bipolar two. Um, I have bipolar one rapid cycling. Mm -hmm. So mine is more like drinking bottles of Robitussin and following it with five, <laughs> five hour energies. <laughs> um, and I also have what's even more disturbing, which is mixed states where you have both mania and depression at the very same moment. So you have, you're, you're irritated, but you're unhappy. You're uh, even up to verbally aggressive toward, toward people, but you feel immediately regretful. Mm -hmm. It's a, a very terrible thing. But getting back to your uh, distinction between depressed and, and mania, what a mania looks like. Um, since I'm a rapid cycler, I can... Uh, go into mania uh, at any point. And even though I take strong medication for that, uh, it's not 
well uh, tempered enough to prevent my manic episodes. And I find that I, I like what's called hypomania, which is you, you're able to get a lot of energy, creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, so that allows me to stay up a long period of time and write and come up with ideas. Uh, and so hypomania is really, is really a nice thing. Mania gets into some risky behaviors. Some people with mania spend a lot of money, you know, way more right. than they could afford. Mm-hmm. Some become prolific sexually. Mm-hmm. Um, some, um, you know, don't sleep at all. In most of my journey, I've only had um, the staying up all night and attempting to create uh, for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. How has stigma uh, impacted you and... How is your ministry, I guess, directly informed with your awareness with stigma and how it affects people? I think two things in particular. I you've really given me a label for this, and that's self stigma. You know, probably the most debilitating form of stigma is that which we put on ourselves. Yeah, and when we do that, we keep secrets and secrets are corrosive Mm -hmm. to ourselves and to others. Um, So I think once we get out of self stigma, there will be tremendous progress. And the best way to get out of self stigma is through stories, Mm -hmm. sharing our own story. That's, you know, I, I know there's value in advocacy and politics and research, which I mean, it's just not my thing, but the thing, my thing is to share my own story, to encourage others to share their story, because I think more than anything, this is what breaks down stigma. Yes. And that's what my ministry is about, you know, sharing my own story through my writing, through the podcast, uh, bringing in guests who share theirs, uh, and, uh, you know, that goes a long way, I believe, to attacking and breaking down those walls. Mm-hmm. One thing I've found since I've resigned, since I've been on disability, is uh, it's more claiming my freedom. I'm not going to pay attention when I talk about my diagnosis and somebody just walks away. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's going to happen. Right. And touching on that, the fear, you know, for me personally, the, the scripture that you know says perfect love casts out all fear, I think that's been a very inspiring uh, verse for me from the Bible because I know that when I act out in love to share my story, um, I'm not... I'm not fearing the consequences because I know that my intention of love and supporting others who uh, may be suffering a bit uh, means more than any consequence I can have when I'm being responsible about my story and who I'm sharing it with. 
So um, I guess that's part of my take on. Stuff. I think, I think that's also a sign that we are in the right ministry. Because mm-hmm. when you're doing what God calls you to do, you're acting out of love. Tony, uh, I've left our key question for the end of our episode here. So I here. can think about yes. it and about it. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, Tony, what does healing mean to you? Well, some people talk about holistic healing, you know, be, bringing together your mind, body, spirit. I typically think about them separately, you know, what supports my physical healing, what supports my emotional healing, and what supports my spiritual healing, even though there is a lot of overlap. I also think of it as discipline. You know, uh, physical discipline requires eating well, exercise, going to the dentist, the doctor, Mm -hmm. taking medicine that will prevent my diverticulitis and cholesterol. On a more emotional side, because I have bipolar, I have the need to take psychotropics, uh, to go to therapists, uh, to follow the doctor's prescribed path. On a spiritual side, the disciplines include prayer. Uh, I have an accountability partner, a prayer and Bible study partner, Mm -hmm. uh, and worship, which is a big need for me and it's also something I struggle with the most um, and fellowship as well uh, but if I'm doing all of these disciplines together um, that's where healing happens uh, uh, at the intersection of these disciplines but it's not something I produce it's something that God gives us mm-hmm. and that we participate in it's always initiated by God, but it's a gift we claim. Mm-hmm. Part of healing, I, I think, is kind of setting the right environment for it to, to happen. And, and you're speaking to that as far as you know, following the doctor's orders, being aware of things you can do that, that do promote healing, understanding spiritual disciplines. I think you do a good job of creating an environment where, where God can work Well, I think consistent healing has come uh, in the form of my personal relationship with God on a consistent basis. Uh, I think writing Delight and Disorder was a breakthrough for me. Mm -hmm. I I developed a consistent prayer time. uh, Well, not necessarily prayer time, but overall praying in all things. Um, An awareness of how God works in my life, uh, the writing discipline that I that I have really began out of that. Mm-hmm. Do you have any more thoughts you'd like to share with the audience uh, about your your life experience and, and why this Revealing Voices podcast uh, is something important for you to be doing at this point? Well, you know, people ask me what's next. You know, are you going to write a book? Are you going to um, start a new ministry? Um, and really, right now, this is my focus. I want to maintain my blog writing twice a week. And I want to work with you in Faithful Friends, 
for co-leadership with Kim Graves and Diana Starkey mm-hmm. and keep the m- momentum going there as our support group. And then with this podcast, start to branch out. Um, but I don't want to really think about big picture. Um, what I want to do is to see that we bring glory to God in, in this effort. One last thing. We didn't get into any unanswered prayers that you may have. Would you like yes. to, to share any of those? Well, I think my, I, I would identify as an unanswered prayer my time in worship. I really want to become a weekly worshiper mm-hmm. of the Lord. It should be said you are attending worship services. Oh, absolutely. Just and not I, on a I weekly want, basis. That's very true. I want to let people know that I don't, I'm not someone who believes, you know, you can worship on your own. I mean, I think the fellowship of faith is crucial. And I do have faithful friends as an accountability group, as right. well as a biweekly or every other week uh, fellowship with my prayer partner. Um, but I think there's something of value to be gained in a worship service that would include a reading of the word, psalms that are sung, um, people of all ages coming together yes. to give praise to God so that we can be a, a better rounded Christian. So I would ask prayer for that. Well, Tony, I'll be praying for you. by Katie Dale. Katie is a young woman who has been active in mental health advocacy, writing, and artistry. Um, she, I first became aware of Katie through her blog. We shared uh, uh, blog guest blog swap and uh, found that she has a very uh, powerful testimony if you go to her site, bipolarbrave.com, you'll see a picture of Katie as well as a number of uh, contents, a blog that's regularly updated. There's also a drop-down box that has a quote from Katie that I uh, think is perfect. They may say, I need to take a step of faith, and I will tell them I did. The truth is, No matter how much faith one has, medication is nothing short of a miracle. Doctors treat, God heals. Very good. Yeah, so so Katie Dale actually just released this past week along with a co-author named Carl Shallowhorn, a mental health resource guide they call Game Plan. This is 10 pages long, and it really is very well done, very practical. It has a list where you write down your healthcare providers, uh, their names, locations, last time you saw them. There's a similar list for writing down crucial contacts in times of crisis, uh, family and, and friends, you know, what, note what their relationship is to you. You know, it's this sort of thing that's uh, you would give to maybe a, a hospital that you've been admitted to, uh, give to a family member to really help in those times of crisis where you might be struggling to communicate. You know, this is a, a document that's going to give a lot of information. 
to help out whoever is going to be caring for you. Gets into online mental health resources for websites. You know, this is great stuff. Maybe we, we could include some of this on our mental health Absolutely. resources page on our blog. Yeah, we want to build on that and have a, an ongoing uh, relationship with Katie's uh, ministry. I'm, I'm glad we have her as one of our first guests on, on Revealing Voices here. Well, Tony, uh, I think we're wrapping up episode three here. Yes, I've revealed my soul. Okay. Yeah. Tony, our show has come to a close. Now is the time to ask for five-star reviews. Please scroll to the bottom of our podcast homepage, click on five stars, then click on write a review. Help us reach more people seeking emotional healing and the hope of faith. Thanks again for your support of Revealing Voices. Revealing Voices is not a substitute for professional mental health care or participation in a faith community. If your unanswered questions or unanswered prayers leave you feeling desperate or unsafe, we urge you to seek further help. A partial list of outreach resources may be found on our website, revealingvoices.com. to name the studio we could call it studio e <laughs> for eric and oh <laughs> oh is that it and, and my name yeah it would be good studio e yeah that's um, it is now dubbed studio e okay yeah